Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Stuart Wilson, Chief Executive of Tyan in Chagall, which offers energy efficiency solutions, care, and repair services and initiatives for low-cost home ownership in the Outer Hebrides. Stuart, hello. Hi, great to be with you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Now, normally we'd go straight into the subject of leadership, but before we get there, we need to obviously touch on the current COVID outbreak. Uh, how has this affected your business? Yes, it's it's uh, significantly impacted what we do. Um, obviously, there's a lot of construction-related activity that we are involved with, and that's clearly been seriously impacted by, by the lockdown. So, uh, our clients, who many of whom are kind of frail and elderly or uh, quite uh, uh, poor in terms of uh, being able to afford their fuel bills, have been have been impacted by that, uh, as we can't get in to do any of the work uh, uh, up until very recently, as the lockdown has begun to lift. So it's been it's been quite a significant change uh, for us. Yeah. And how have you coped uh, during this period of time? Yeah, we, I think we've done actually exceptionally well. The staff team have been particularly uh, uh, good at adapting to the, the the new way of life, obviously, um, and uh, uh, adapting to digital means of communication. And we've also had our funders uh, engage with us in that way and been very flexible and understanding about how we can actually achieve uh, some of the aims that, that, that we that we had uh, to help people uh, across the, the, the island. So uh, the staff have done it exceptionally well, um, and we've uh, we've managed to keep a, a significant proportion of the business going with activities behind the scenes rather than face to face contact. Now, of course, uh, each week on the podcast, we like to touch on a topical issue, and this one kind of dovetails quite well into the discussion we were just discussing. Um, this week, we are trying to find uh, the silver lining uh, to what has been an enormously dark and dense cloud. So can you tell us about any positives you or your organization have managed to take from the past few months? Yes. I mean, I think one of the things that lets you do is uh, is reassess how you actually approach people, how you speak to people, um, uh, what information you want to communicate with them. It makes you uh, uh, distill that down to a, to a, a way that's uh, – or into a method that, that, uh, that can be achieved uh, either over the phone or digitally. Uh, and I think that's been a real, a real positive for us, um, the – uh, that our customers and clients have engaged with that, and uh, our, our staff team have have uh, gained skills there that perhaps uh, that they didn't have before. So um, I think that's been a, a positive and something that we'll, we'll use going forward uh, for the development of the business. We should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I, I think lead, being, a, being a leader is you have to have a clear vision for what it is you, you, you're about, what, what you want to achieve. Um, I always say to staff, it's, it, part of it's about tackling the, 
the fear of failure. Yeah, people, obviously, uh, particularly in this environment, perhaps uh, more frightened to take decisions uh, and take responsibility for things uh, because they might make a mistake. And I've always said to people, look, I'd rather you take a decision and, and make a mistake and learn by it rather than being paralysed by it. So I think that's, it's important to encourage that responsibility taken as a, as a leader and at the same time be enthusiastic uh, for what it is you, you, you aim to achieve. Um, but uh, clearly your staff are your most important asset in any business and trying to be empathetic with them uh, as you do that uh, is extremely important. So I think you have to be extremely honest with your staff and say you don't know when you don't know or apologise when you need to apologise for something that, that you've maybe perhaps done wrong uh, and, and demonstrate to them that, uh, that uh, you can you can uh, succeed that way uh, and, and uh, set an example for them in that, in that way. Uh, it's a, effectively, ultimately, I guess it's about sacrificial hard work really, isn't it? Uh, mm. And that, that, that's really about setting that example for staff and uh, Having them taking taking them along with you as you, as you go on your business journey. So yeah, uh, it's it's clearly uh, having that vision, but setting an example for them. Well, who set the example for you? Uh, did you have any particular role models when you were first starting out your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we I suppose we we had um, uh, some uh, important people just as we came out of university and began to. Uh, look at the the world of work and the world of business, um, and had some some important mentors at that time. Um, and uh, but you look back in history and you just look at leaders who who are who have been in terms of leaders anyway exceptional. Um, I, I think a, I think a, a, I love to think of Churchill. You know, when you look at him and you see uh, some of his his. Uh, Great things, you know, and and he he talks about uh, what success is, you know, and and uh, and it goes. One of his fantastic things is that it consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. And I think that's what it's about, you know. You have to learn as you go along, and not expect to be immediately at, at your at your objective. Uh, and you have to develop as you as you go. Um, and uh, another guy, I, I love to. Uh, read about is, is Eric Liddell, you know, the great runner, the great Scottish runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he says the same kind of thing, you know, he, he talks about uh, that dust of defeat. <laughs> and he says, he goes, he goes, in that dust, he goes, as well as in the laurels of victory, he says, I love that saying, uh, there's glory to be found, you know, uh, if, if one's done his best. And that's important, you know, but giving your all to that. And uh, so, I think men like that in, in your in your uh, from from the past can really uh, shine a light on where you need to go and, and how you need to act and behave um, for for the future. Now, when we talk about leadership, uh, we can't avoid conflict. Uh, conflict is something a leader usually has to deal with from time to time. What is your recipe for resolving conflict within the workplace? <laughs> I don't. In one sense, I don't think there is uh, necessarily a recipe. Um, but in any conflict, I think that I guess as you get older, you realise usually there's both sides to an issue, uh, and you have to kind of appeal for 
uh, a calm and order to be able to consider both of these things and and ask each of the parties if there's if there's parties involved, various parties involved, to to consider the other in the best possible light and to take a step back and and but from trying to mediate and that, uh, being very careful with your words, I think is is really important. Um, careful with what your tongue says, <laughs> uh, and particularly take time. To, to look at it rather than just do a cursory uh, skim over the top and then ignore it. Trying to take time and really sort out what, what the deeper issues usually are um, and and offer that sense of concern to your staff that, you, that hey, well, we're invested in you, we really need you to, to work together and, and be as a team. Um, and then offer, if you can, a balanced resolution without looking at the bigger picture of the business. So um, often in these situations, you People can become very blinkered and and, uh, and uh, narrow in their vision, and then when they take a step back, sometimes and, and see that bigger picture and what what you're trying to achieve as a business, then it, it can often help. I think so. That, that's the way I would I usually try and approach it. Anyway, not that we have to have much conflict in business, but uh, occasionally when it when it happens, um, uh, when you've got a staff call moment of thirty, it's 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 occasional. I would say, but for ourselves, we've been blessed with the fact that. Uh, we we go on great as a team, I think. So that would be my approach anyway to to conflict. I think. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next twelve months have in store for Tyen in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the challenges for the next twelve months are are significant um, as as we try and negotiate our way through uh, the the impact of the COVID crisis and and how that's impacted our clients and how it's impacted our supply chains. Um, so it's really about negotiating. I think that we, uh, it's a challenge like no other time that, that, that we've seen. Um, but it'll be one where we, I think we can, and we've already started to develop new projects for helping the, uh, those people out in our community. I mean, that's what we're about. We're a community benefit society. Uh, and we, it's aiming to keep people uh, uh, warm and well and in homes that are affordable to live in. Um, and I think there's opportunities there to, to assist people who need that more than ever now, um, particularly as you see spikes in universal credit and things like that as people are made unemployed as a result of the crisis. So it's, it's about trying to uh, see need of the community and then, and then, and then structuring the business in a way that, that meets that head on to, to benefit those, those communities and, and households there who are in real need. Uh, and that, that's what we'll be about over the next 12 months. Well, Stuart, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today and wish you and the entire team uh, the best of luck over the next uh, year or so. And I'd love to have you back on the program when things get back to normal. But for now, Stuart, thank you. Thanks very much. That's wonderful. Nice to be with you. That was Stuart Wilson, Chief Executive of Tyne in Chagall. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire. 
in Liverpool. A place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't... And, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, <laughs> I guess. There were one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. 
And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with Seven Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. he, in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up 
really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, Al. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that I'll show he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? 
So the chap had the bike and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, a laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have that, to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other in the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. 
Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United. And subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. Answer is yes. Um, that's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. 
when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.